Hello and welcome to the eTalking podcast from Motion E, the place to be for in-depth content on Formula E, electric vehicles and sustainable transport, with content as surprising as an upsold chicken pakora in the middle of Spain. I'm Stuart Garlic. This edition of the podcast comes to you just before the Diria E-Prix in Saudi Arabia, the first race of the Formula E season. We'll be covering it here on Motion E. In this podcast, I speak to Neo333 driver Marching Kwa about how he feels on the eve of possibly the biggest challenge he's faced in racing, driving for a team that had to hurry to finish its car before testing and seems to be playing catch-up with the rest of the field. I'll also be catching up with Sarah Jarvis, Formula E correspondent for the pit crew online. We spoke at Valencia Testing about our hopes for the season ahead. If you want to read our latest features, go to motione.org. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, it's motione.org or one word. If you like the podcast enough to support what we're doing and get exclusive articles and more every month, take a look at patreon.com forward slash e underscore motion fe. With no further ado, here's the show. I think the the team has been recruited, as you know, now it's Neo 3 <laughs> racing team. So it's quite a new team and uh, uh, we ca- of course we carry some um, old stuff and uh, some experience from the Neo Formula E team hmm. in the previous seasons. Uh, and uh, for me, yeah, we we're getting because uh, we're getting know uh, each other from the long time and also for me as a uh, a new reserve driver in the preview two seasons. So um, uh, yeah, then I it's for me it's really happy to be as a title driver now this mm. season uh, and to to compete in this championship. Uh, for sure, it's going to be a, a difficult start for us because uh, everything is quite new and for me it's the first time to be in the Gen 2 car. So I'm looking forward and positive on this and uh, we'll see uh, how things going through especially through this testing and uh, so far I think um, I'm okay but uh, we, we still have a lot of work to do and uh, for me also is as a learning procedure for the moment yeah, yeah um, you've obviously driven the Gen 1 and now the Gen 2 so uh, I asked this of uh, uh, Simone de Silvestro as well but uh, can you describe for someone who maybe has never driven a Formula E car what the, di- <laughs> what the difference is in performance in terms of how to drive in terms of uh, which one is more difficult to drive um, to be honest I just can say it's very different I think all the top level competitions they are all difficult but in a different, different way uh, in Formula E um, so you need to kind of forget about uh, what you learn before in the other categories, mm-hmm. whatever is you know the standard single seater like Formula Two, Formula One, then GTs or like what I'm racing now also in touring car WTCR. Uh, it's completely different the species, and the way you perform uh, the performance of the car is different. The way you think to perform is different and of course we are racing on the street I mean really street not like Formula 1 street race because you know for example like Singapore you still have some 
long stride, fast corner, and uh, the track surface has been retarmic, so it's flat. But in Formula E, it's, you know, it's really the original street mm -hmm. with the wall. <laughs> so uh, it's narrow, bumpy. Uh, and the tiny corners, so uh, it makes very different than the the normal circuit racing. Uh, so, yeah, there's too many things. It just make the the driving on the driving side is really different than the other ca categories. But obviously, in WTCR, rubbing is racing to an extent. You can. Uh, you can make contact with other cars, you know, uh, uh, with, without uh, necessarily being out of the race. Formula E, it's a bit different. Um, is, is, is that one of the things that you that, that you think about, you know, uh, having a clean race uh, a bit more maybe in Formula E? Well, I s and maybe as you saw, especially as in from the last season, uh, there start to be quite a bit contact in well, Formula E. Yes, and, yes. Yeah, but uh, this is the things you have to be careful with the single-seater uh, mm -hmm. anyway. You know, there's a, always a limit if you damage something, you got, you know, the penalty not from the FIA, but you got a penalty for yourself, mm -hmm. from your car. So uh, you have to be careful, but in the same time, you, you have to push as much as possible because in this narrow circuit, I think really difficult to evolve some necessary contact, and uh, sometimes it's just a uh, uh, too many accidents happens in one second so you cannot really avoid that and you don't need to be afraid of that you just need to be clear uh, to not damage the, the car and like what we say usually in WTCC is like touch without touching yeah <laughs> Um, I, I mean, obviously, you've you've won races in the Chinese Touring Car Championship, and uh, you've 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 since uh, raced in WTCR um, and Formula E. Can you tell? Can you maybe tell me a bit about uh, what the difference is between you know being a Chinese driver in the Chinese Championship and being a Chinese driver in in Europe? And uh, um, are, are there any, uh, for example, cultural differences in terms of dealing with teams in Europe uh, compared to compared to teams you know uh, back at home in China? Uh, yeah, of course, it's different languages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yes, different culture, very different. And I've been working with uh, English teams, uh, French teams. Uh, in 2014, when I raced in WTCC with Citroen Racing, then it was full French. Mm -hmm. Then this year, we in WTCR was full Italian. And, uh, and when I uh, in Formula One with HRT was full Spanish, so uh, it's totally different culture and uh, the way the people walk together is different and uh, different food, mm -hmm. different um, uh, different logic and uh, also uh, as a Chinese, I think. For me, I always bring uh, the different way to sing to the team, and uh, I would like to introduce more uh, our own culture to to the team and to to share, you know, uh, what was life experiencing my side in China, and uh, uh, I also would like to experience the European side for sure. Next up, you can hear my conversation with Sarah Jarvis of the Pit Crew Online. 
the cars themselves they haven't changed from last season but what has changed is the uh, way that the energy levels are managed through the race because um, maybe as a reaction to uh, the um, uh, the situations last season where the safety car was rolled out and um, then maybe a red flag called and then it was um, a sprint race to the finish uh, they've they've brought in the added jeopardy of uh, the number of kilowatts available to a driver being reduced uh, with each lap the safety cars out uh, do you think that this will uh, prevent there being just straightforward 15 lap sprint races to the end this time around mm, it's it's hard to say because a lot a lot of the regulations that have been put in place in regards to power was to prevent sort of that strategical war battlefield that goes on like for example um when they first launched attack mode they said that they were going to determine how many times in a race per race they were going to use it so say in santiago they might use it three times and say in um, paris they might use it twice um that kind of went to pieces apart from in new york where they had three and they had the three um they had three attack modes each Mm. and i think that the safety car at the moment does play a big part in team strategy. Nice safety car going past. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the BMW i8 safety car. It's um, it's a hybrid, sadly, but uh, none, nonetheless, you could hear the whistle from the the electric hybrid unit. So it is there at least, harvesting away. Yes. Um, and I think that in en- in any motorsport the safety car will always play play a predominance part and and strategy plays into that and i think that having having the reduction in kilowatts um for each lap it kind of lessens their ability they have to kind of use their brains a little bit more and strategize and energy save a little bit more Hmm. certainly like we saw like with was it nissan in was it santiago where they ran out of they ran out of energy yeah mexico that's the one and they basically run out of energy so then we we might have like more situations like that which as a fan is very interesting maybe not for the drivers Hmm. but from a fan perspective racing of course it's never nice when anybody sort of comes out um anybody comes out sort of um all guns blazing and doesn't go anywhere um it was bucking bucketing it down with rain last year you said um but um did it make it somehow um a nicer experience to come out here do you think this time because the sun's been shining i think that as well and um i did quite a few um i kind of had a run-up because i did um i did media i did media in um monaco berlin and Bern. So I kind of was riding off that, working hard with that. So I feel like this time around, I'm a lot more relaxed about it. The weather's nice, as we were saying. Um, the drivers are always in, interactive and they're always, they're always in a good mood in testing. Mm. Um, it's not like if you get them, catch them after a race, like certainly like the burn race, um, after the, um, they reshuffled all the pack and I think Lucas Degrassi was in the media pen for about 20 minutes after the race, mm-hmm. still ranting on about uh, the reconfiguration of drivers. But I think it, testing is always kind of a more relaxed atmosphere. And I think that's why 
it's such a perfect event to come for to for like new sort of new journalists hmm. um it's a lot it's not like race day where everything happens in one day and that's the end and you need to get everything crammed into that day you probably work about 15 hours like I did in Bern hmm. um, it's just a lot more relaxed you get a lot more time um, you get a lot more experience and it all adds up at the end of the day yeah and uh, I, I think uh, for, for anyone um, um, co- covering sports you know it, it is about energy management on our side as well um, it, it's about you know make, making sure that you um view it like view it like a whole week and sort of don't uh, don't don't get too many late nights and uh, you know um, look look after yourself a bit i mean uh, I, I i can i can see plenty of people um, you know looking pretty tired and burnt out by the end of this week it it is a hard slog i know um, you know people view this uh, probably out people on the on the outside view this as a nice holiday but uh, you know um, coming up with new interview questions all the time and transcribing and you know working hard on updating websites it, it is a bit of a slog isn't it sometimes yes definitely I think it's it's because obviously people like you said people on the outside because I have another full-time job they say oh you're going to Valencia hmm. oh how lovely for you nice nice week off and I'm like it's not a week off I probably <laughs> work more hours than I do in my in my in my other job um, and it's like you say it's but at the end of the day it's 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 something that drives us all forward and it's and if you're passionate about it mm. and if you work hard then you will it will pay dividends for you you will feel so accomplished about it i mean probably by friday i'll i'll be dead but i'll be happy about being dead <laughs> for sure um and um Perhaps you could tell us about uh, the first race that you went to. Where it was Monaco, wasn't it? Yes, it was Monaco in season three, twenty seventeen. Um, I believe it was Sebastian Boemi that won the race. Twenty, sorry, twenty seventeen or twenty sixteen? Twenty sixteen. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, it was my first ever time in Monaco, um, which was really, really nice. Uh huh. Um, you want to be a rich person when you go to Monaco. You're honest. You see all the yachts and beautiful people and yeah feel like a sort of spider sort of crawling into the into the darkness um and it was my first it was i think my ticket was about 20 euros which for for a race in monaco like you probably wouldn't even you probably have to watch from like nice mm. um for formula one and i watched it and it was just it just something there just kind of clicked for me, and I I really wanted to go to Paris, which was two weeks later, but I I didn't I didn't I'm very last minute anyway, but I didn't manage to get that that one in, so I went the year after. Hmm. Um, but it was it's kind of good to experience it, I think, because all of us journalists are fans of the sport. I think in most well you Mm -hmm. have to be you have to be a fan of this sport you have to be passionate about this sport to be in it and to and to speak to people and to and to sort of use your your worldly knowledge to educate other people and encourage other people to get into it and I think being a fan to begin with really helps because you get that kind of nerdy 
nerdy knowledge hmm. you want to learn everything about it but you kind of get best of both worlds so when you're a fan you get sort of the fan experiences you get to vote on fan boost and all of these things and then when you're media you get to go behind the scenes and see how things work and why they work that way and that's really interesting to me hmm. and um what what about uh, the drivers themselves uh, obviously you've spoken to them and they're all very polite generally but is there any particular driver that you would say you know um if if you were to meet outside of Formula E, you know, maybe maybe you'd like to become friends with that person. <laughs> um, is, is, is there anyone who seems especially open uh, to, you know, um, it, answering questions in an interesting way, perhaps? Um, I think definitely Mitch Evans um, and Sam Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, those two drivers I've known since season four. Um, I've interviewed them. They always give really in-depth, articulate answers. They really think about what they want to say and they don't sort of fob you off with sort of their... Because obviously, they're obviously all PR trained and they have to say the right thing. But I, with with Mitch and Sam, I feel like they they articulate things in a way that makes it sort of... It isn't. It isn't just an interview to them. Mm. It's it's them just genuinely just sitting down and speaking to you openly and honestly about things. So I think those two, and also the really funny. Well, Sam's a really funny guy, and mm. um, I spoke to Mitch today, and he he's given me a lot of really really in depth answers that I can use. So and he's a he's a um, he's an absolute. Dr- they're both an absolute dream to transcribe as well because some of the drivers, even even not even even the English ones can be a little bit muttery sometimes Mm -hmm. and especially when you're transcribing you kind of got your headphones on and you're like what is he saying um they're very very easy to understand and very easy to type up and get all the words out maybe this is a good point to for you uh, to ask you about your site um can you tell us what it is and how we can find it yeah um so my site is called the pit crew online um i am the formula e correspondent um i've been doing that for three years now um we specialize in all sorts of motorsport from formula one formula two formula e obviously um we do motor gp we do super bikes basically anything with two wheels or four wheels we can do um our website is www.thepickerelonline.net and we do race we do race reports we do spe- we're actually doing some um features at the minute for um special races so i'm doing one on beijing um the hmm. beijing epre which was the first ever formula e race so yeah. something to look out for all right um when i look back at the first ever formula e race uh, i i watched it again on youtube recently and it's it feels a bit like watching the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation because <laughs> your favourite characters are there and uh, they, they all seem like the people that we know and yet uh, they haven't developed the characters that we know yet. Uh, everyone's being very nice and clean cut and sensible and uh, you don't really have Jack freestyling in the commentary box or anything. Um, things have really moved forward a lot since then, haven't they? In terms of the presentation, in terms of the personalities, everything. I think um, back then it was still 
it was still sort of a dream. I mean, th there was a stage, there was a stage in season one where we we weren't sure that the European rounds were even actually going to happen. Um, so to see it being developed into what it is now, where we have drivers from Formula Two, from Formula One, from big categories, from um, in endurance racing, we have Porsche, we have Mercedes, Audi, all of these massive, massive. Um, manufacturers all wanting to join Formula E and I just think it shows how much it's come on as a sport and it's it's like you say it's it's strange to watch it back because obviously we do have some elements of obviously we had Renault and we had um, Audi um, masquerading as apt back then uh -huh. um, but it just shows how far we've how far the sports come in such a short space of time as well which is even more impressive considering it's been six years hmm. um, and it's got to this point now where it's an act where it's a proper championship where drivers and and uh, manufacturers alike want to come to Formula E they don't want to go to any other categories anymore they want to do Formula E because of because the competition is so strong and the, the and it's just come on and the technology continues to improve and advance and develop hmm. And um, would you say that you take an interest in the technology as well, away from the track, uh, um, as 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 part of your uh, journalism? Have you have you looked into sustainable or electric tech, or uh, maybe the road cars that you can buy, that kind of thing? I, I have a little bit. I have a little bit because obviously it's it, it's a big part of Formula E, and I would love to have an electric car one day. I'm not sure which one I would have. Um, I, I, I did know I did know somebody who had well I saw a hell of a lot of Teslas in um, Holland mm. so maybe maybe I'd have a maybe I'd have a Tesla just just to uh, enforce the stereotype of having a Tesla. Yeah, Holland's the wrong place to have a Tesla, isn't it? Because yes. like because there are no hills, how can you regen? Yeah, that's true. And um, when when you um, I don't know if you've been to Paris. But yeah. um, Paris is like an epicenter for electrical sustainability, and I, every, every, like you walked about 15 steps, and every time you walked, there was like an electric charging station at like every sort of streets, um, which was back then it was a bit strange to me to see it sort of um, in real life per se, but it just shows how much the world is changing and how people are beginning to embrace electrical electrical energy and sustainable energy and realizing that we don't have to it is the way forward hmm. and we don't we don't have to put pump our um, our world full of pollutants and all the other garbage <laughs> yeah um a lot of the criticism of uh, lewis hamilton's comments uh came from people who felt that uh, it's it's impossible to talk about saving the planet while driving a car fast. Um, obviously, we would both say that that's a flawed judgment that people are making there. But um, I, in terms in terms of the climate out there, in terms of the, in terms of the planet out there, are we just moving deck chairs on the Titanic by having a race series that happens to be electric, um, or are, can Formula E do something to influence people to, you know, genuinely save the planet? I think definitely because you've got you've got a lot of the top car manufacturers um, 
currently in Formula E now, and they're all going to be pushing um, their own road electric car that you can drive on the road. So I think they, they do. And obviously having a shorter calendar, you've not got as much problems with the fright of moving things around. And a lot of the, a lot of the rounds are around the same time that in places that you could get to easily. So you're not having the problem that you've got in Formula One of going here, there and everywhere. Mm. 20 is it 21 times now 21 21 21, yes um, 21 times in a year like putting things on and off of jet planes and moving them all around so i i do think i do think it's and it's it's a platform as well it's bringing um electric electric cars to the forefront because i think maybe maybe 10 years ago electric cars were seen as sort of something that maybe your dad would have or you know your granddad would have or you know some sort of environmentalist would have and I think by having a race series that is predominantly electric orientated some people sort of see it as an exciting thing Mm. they see electric they see electric cars as exciting they see they see racing as exciting because obviously we've got some of the most closed close racing within motorsport I would say hmm. and I think that that's really important and obviously they're getting the message across all the time promoting it but in a way that it doesn't feel like it's shoving it down your throat and making you feel really bad about something so I think it's the perfect category in a way yeah um, in, 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 t- in terms of um, obviously I, I asked Daniel Abt about uh, Lewis's comments and uh, his response was very much along the lines of you know um right sentiment perhaps um wrong execution in terms of the way he said things um would you would you agree with that uh i mean obviously lewis is not a formula e driver but i think his comments speak to the thoughts of a lot of the journalists and a lot of the fans who follow this series do you think do you think he was right to say that if you want to save the planet it's not just good enough to have sustainable cars you also need to go vegan and all 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 that that entails for example i i think it I think sort of I kind of agree with what Daniel said like the sentiment was there he's mm. trying to obviously promote a vegan lifestyle um, I kind of admire him for that because um, I'm a vegetarian mm. so um, I, I do empathize with um, his point of view but I think that he it came across he, he didn't present it in the way that I think he, he wanted it to be perceived mm. I think he wanted to sort of he was using his social media as a platform um, to sort of gain awareness of the situation rather than telling people, oh, you need to go vegan because at the end of the day, we, humans are, we're all human. And I, I think he's human as well. And sometimes you say things that might be articulated in a completely different way than what you mean them to. And I think that's why he kind of, he kind of said what he he said so i kind of get where he was coming from but i think it was executed in a in a way that he didn't want it to be executed in there's a real disconnect isn't there between drivers and the enormous amount of pr training they receive and how they uh, talk about think talk about issues on social media now obviously lewis is uh, you know at the tip of the iceberg in terms of talent and that's why he can get away with saying these things but 
if we look at somebody new to the, new to Formula E, like Nick DeVries, for example, he, he seems so massively professional in terms of the PR training, in terms of the way he conducts himself in public. Um, do you think there's a bit of a sort of a dichotomy between the amount of training these guys receive to say the right things, and then the forums that are open to them to express exactly what they're what's on their mind at that time? I think. I think as well it depends on your reputation. Um, Lewis is obviously a world champion, so I think his words and his reputation have a lot more weight than say than say somebody just starting out. Um, but I think that it kind of it it depends on the team as well as to what they want what they want um, their sort of fan base to see because obviously you like to use your term the tip of the iceberg that is what sometimes a lot of the time we do see oh. of drivers and of their opinions because we're here to watch them race we're, we we'd love to know them as people but i like to think when they get in a race car they're a completely different person they they're just a ra they're a racing driver they're they're not just a person with they are they are a person obviously with views and opinions but those kind of disappear once you're on track and it's and it's the driving and the car that just the talking rather than the sort of opinions and thoughts of other people. Yeah. Is there any part of coming to Formula E events that you don't enjoy or any part that, you know, if, if you didn't have to do this, then you would not? Uh, for example, the long, long bus journeys and train journeys <laughs> to get to a track. Um, one getting up at seven o'clock in the morning to mm. do um, practice um, I would say as well the, the traveling although certainly within Formula E we are quite lucky in that a lot of the time it's in the city so you can kind of stay more or less on the track's doorstep so it's kind of more getting to the places and having having Ypres in sort of locations like Saudi Arabia um, mm and um, Jakarta and um, Korea can be a little bit difficult at times sort of because um, obviously I, I'm not going to attend those live but it's still I've still got to get up and cover it so it's sort of the time difference as well um, getting getting up at like um, I had to get up at um, four o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. uh, for the Sanya Ypres which is also the day of my birthday so oh. <laughs> that was an experience well, at least they gave you an EP on your birthday. Yes, that is true. I never get an EP on my birthday usually. I yeah, think. I usually get Eurovision on my birthday. Oh, well, that's even better. <laughs> I guess. I guess. So I'm. I like to do sort of. Um, I like to do content based on encouraging people into the sport, making like letting them know people they might know because obviously a lot of people who come in from Formula E are from a Formula 1 background mm. so sometimes you have to say like oh well you know here you know John Eric Byrne well now he's uh, a two-time world champion why don't you watch him in Formula E yeah. and I've I've um, I'm obviously on like a lot of platforms so I've had like a lot of people say oh Formula E's I've, I've like been looking at testing and I'm really interested like what is it like and I like that sort of enthusiasm and excitement that comes with finding out about a new series that is so exciting in its own way. It's it's not sort of 
it's not the same every week. You're never going to have the same race. You're never going to have a Mercedes on pole. Mm. You're never going to have. Um, you never. It's never the same week on week. It's always different, and there's always something to learn. So even as somebody coming into the sport who's never heard of Formula E before, I can learn some. I can learn from just as much as they can learn. If you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. Uh, and um, uh, how do we follow you on social media? Um, I am on um, Twitter. Um, I should get onto it more actually. <laughs> I've been um, I've been working really hard, um, slog sort of six days a week. Um, my Twitter is Valentine's Kid. That's all one word. Okay. Um, don't ask me why it's that. It just. I, it's been like that since I was like 16 and I it's like my brand so I don't want to change it to my name <laughs> some kind of World of Warcraft screen name or something no um, it actually came from a song I wrote when I was like a little emo 15 year old because okay. um, I used to write a lot of songs um, played the guitar probably set up a Formula E band somewhere hmm. um, in the paddock someone probably could play as drums see if everybody's a good drummer yeah ab- absolutely yeah uh... I, do we know any musicians within within the teams? I don't know. We should ask. I don't know if anybody. They probably were all too busy carting to um, be playing musical instruments. Well, I'm sure there's some engineers or mechanics who can play an yeah. instrument or two. I, I'm just trying to think of somebody who would be a really good drummer, but hmm. maybe someone who keeps beating his teammate. Well, <laughs> we shall see. Because obviously, it's a new season, so. Yeah. It's a, it's a new. I think it's a. I think of it as a new start. Like I, I think a lot of them don't look at past, the past season. I mean, because as, as we've seen, mm. um, in in testing so far, Antonio Felix da Costa has um, been matching John Eric Verne like time for time. So it's it's nothing. He's obviously well prepared to step into the step into um, being the, in the shoes of um, a two-time world champion. Thank you for listening to the eTalking podcast. If you liked this and want to get more, go to motione.org. And you may also want to consider subscribing to our Patreon exclusives on patreon.com forward slash e underscore motionfe. Goodbye for now, and we'll talk again after the Diria e Prix.